Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Terrio Media. Success in real estate has nothing to do with shiny objects. It has everything to do with mastering the basics. The three pillars of real estate investing. Attract, convert, exit. Matt Terrio has been helping real estate investors do just that for more than a decade now. If you want to make money in real estate, keep listening. If you want it faster, visit reiace.com. Here's Matt. Hello, and welcome to the Epic Real Estate Investing Show. I got a great show for you today, a great guest. As many of you know, I was on the road almost the whole month of October. It was exhausting. I'm really happy to be home back in the office, back in the studio. But while I was on the road, I made a lot of good friends, I would say. I've made some great contacts, had some great conversations, you know, just had a whole lot of fun uh, in between those times when I was working. I invited some of them to come on the show, and uh, the first person to accept my invitation is with us today. He's got a great story. Uh, He's a successful real estate investor, and he's made this transition from day job to full-time real estate investor, which I found really inspiring as to how he did it and his story, and I think you will as well. So please help me welcome to the show, Mr. Jeffrey Holst. Jeffrey, welcome to Epic Real Estate Investing. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, you bet. You know, we met uh, just a few months ago. And we got to talking and, and I think our ideas and seemed like our views and our just, yeah, everything was just kind of in alignment. Had a great time with you for a couple of days, probably uh, consumed more alcohol than any two humans should in, in one sitting. <laughs> I would say that's uh, true, except for um, we did even better last weekend, actually. We were in New Orleans for Halloween weekend. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was a lot of alcohol for my wife and I. I think I might have to take a break after that. Okay, good. All right, so I'm not I'm not that guy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Super. Uh, where are you from, Jeffrey? Uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. I'm actually from Michigan, uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Mm-hmm. But I live in Chattanooga now. I've been here for uh, about nine years now. Nine years now. Perfect. So uh, what inspired the move to Chattanooga? Well, I took a job um, working for a trucking company. Um I started out, so uh, I'll take a step back if you don't mind. So, no, please. I, um, I want to know how you get into real estate anyway, because that's always yeah, cool. yeah. So, I mean, I was a bankruptcy attorney uh, in Grand Rapids, so I did bankruptcy work. Um, I did that for about five years, um, and in two thousand and eight, I was diagnosed with uh, leukemia, mm-hmm. and I ended up. Uh, because I was running a small practice and I'd only been practicing for a few years at that point, ended up personally going bankrupt in 2010. 
Um, and at that point, I decided I needed to figure out a better plan. So one part of the strategy was to take a job. So that's when I started looking for a, as high a paying job as I could get because I needed predictable income. Um, and then the second part was to create a plan that made it so that I would never have to go that direction again, right? So mm-hmm. I was in a situation where uh, I didn't know if I was going to live or die, and I wanted uh, to make sure I had some money put aside for my wife. And the strategy was get a high-paying job and then start buying real estate with the money. So that's what I did. That was your wife's suggestion? No, it was my idea. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, she was she was just hoping I didn't die. Um, you know, she she right, she's right. she's a saint though. She she spent her time uh, uh, supporting me in whatever I wanted to do. When I said I wanted to quit practicing law, um, that's a risky move. Even though um, you know we had had some troubles, we were still making decent money before I got sick, and I knew once I recovered, I could do that again. But I also recognized, you know, you only have one life, right? So you want to mm-hmm. do something you enjoy, and and I always liked real estate, so I, I felt like it was the time to do it. I mean, you're only going to be this young once, so got to do it now. Yes. We'll only be this good looking once also. Well, I don't know. I keep getting better looking. (laughs) Good. Um, How long ago was that decision then? So 2010 is when we moved to Tennessee and we started buying real estate in early 2011. 2011. Okay. So here we are eight years later. What is your real estate investing, I don't know, portfolio or business? What does that look like today? Uh, well, I'm full-time real estate now. So okay. um, I quit working two years ago. So it took about seven years to get to um, to where I could just support myself off of my real estate investing. I started with uh, single families. I mean, 2011 stuff was super cheap. So we were just buying stuff for cash, 10, 20, $30,000 houses. Um, and then we started doing some private money stuff where we were, um, you know, using uh, investor funds to buy single mm-hmm. family houses. And then eventually we just started flipping those. Uh, to bigger and bigger deals. Um, and what we, our strategy back then was we'll buy one or two houses, fix them up, rent them out, and then sell them for a, a little bit of a profit. And if we did that enough times, we'd have enough to keep one for ourselves and still have operating capital. Mm-hmm. So we just kept doing that. And we got to uh, have a partner that I met in law school that's up in Michigan. And, um, and we got to a portfolio of about 50 or 60 single family houses that were free and clear, a couple of duplexes. Uh, and then we started looking at, you know, multifamily at that point. So we, we ended up having about a hundred units of single family and small multis before we transitioned a few years ago into the larger multis. Got it. Cool. It sounds very smooth and efficient, but we all know that that's probably not how it went. <laughs> well, uh, I- it wasn't the, uh, nearly as strategic as it sounds. Yeah. Again, hindsight, the, the retelling of the story always sounds much better than what the actual, how it actually played out. So it took you seven years to make this transition from having a job and working real estate on the side to be able to go full time. Um, looking back, what would you have done differently to get out of your job quicker? Well, I would have gotten into multifamily sooner because the multifamilies, and, and I, by the way, I quit working before we started buying, you know, larger multis. And, and we started with the first larger one was 12 units. So it was larger than duplexes and quads, but it wasn't mm-hmm. enormous. Um, but the, the opportunity in those is so great that I think we could have accelerated um, our growth a lot faster because we've gone from, you know, that 12 unit we bought just over two years ago now um, to where we bought a a 19 unit, a 32 unit, a 41 unit. We've got a 16 and a 22 under contract right now. Um, and then we have a 40 that we're very close to going under contract with, which we'll see. You never know. Any of those deals could fall through until you actually close them. So For sure. So they're all local to where you live? 
Uh, so some of them are in Michigan and some of them are down here in Chattanooga. So I have one partner up in Michigan who runs a property management company. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we do continue to you know buy deals with him and he's my primary partner. And then I have another partner in Chattanooga who also runs a property management company. It's kind of a strategy of mine because I wanted to uh, tap into those uh, local networks. So I, I made friends with property managers. Sure. No, that's uh highly recommended uh, strategy here on, on the Epic Real Estate Investing Show. They're the center of, of all everything real estate investing, right? They are the, the hub. Yeah, um, I mean, they have, they have a lot of opportunities, right? They, can, they totally. get first crack at deals. And, and also, you know, if they're partnering with you, you know they're going to be watching your investment very carefully. And Right. So to go back, if you were to do it all over again, you would have gone into multifamily uh, sooner because of the, the, the opportunity. Um, Explain to me, what do you mean by that? Uh, with the difference in opportunity between the single family and the multifamily and how would that have gotten you out of your job faster? Yeah, so we're focused on value add multifamily. So we're buying stabilized properties that we can see some area where we can increase the net operating income. Uh, mm-hmm. By doing that, we create a lot of additional equity. Uh, you know, I'm not sure if all of your um, listeners uh, will really understand how multifamilies value differently than single families. But once you get above five units, uh, it's really based on the income, income is what determines right. the, the value of it. And so you can really force appreciation. I mean, that 19 unit was the second deal we bought and we bought it in uh, 2000. Well, it was two years ago, almost exactly. We're looking at refinancing that now and taking out more than we put in originally. So we can just go repeat it like that. That's an enormous gain for a couple year period and supported by a couple hundred dollars per unit and additional rent. Um, and then you, of course, also have the advantage of, um, once you get to big enough multifamilies, the non-recourse financing, which takes a lot of personal liability out of the deal for you. So mm-hmm. you can really, you can kind of pour gasoline on your returns when you start getting into those deals. Got it. So the, the return would have gotten you out of your job sooner. That's right. And on the ability to scale faster, it's, mm-hmm. you can only have so many single families, it becomes sort of a management nightmare. I um, mean, you can do it, but it's, it's a lot more work. And one 19 unit is a lot easier to close and a lot easier to manage than 19 single families would be. Hmm. Interesting. Because, <laughs> you know, when we hit about 50 units and or 50 single families, and then uh, we went in and, and bought ourselves a, an 18 unit and boy, that was such a pain in the butt for us. And I was thinking, wow, it's just like 18 houses under one roof. How difficult could it be? Uh, There's a learning curve, right? But right. once you learn it, I think that first uh, 12 unit was the hardest and then 19 unit the second hardest. And then once we got through those, uh, you know, buying a 32 or a 40 unit, which would have seemed unimaginable two years ago, um, both of those are operating very smoothly now because of that. Sweet. Yeah, it's like anything else. I, I imagine the repetitions what makes you better at what you do. The question was: This isn't really an asset-specific show, right? Sure. Um, we do talk a lot about single-family because that's just kind of what I do, and those are most of my reference points. At least my, most of my successful reference points. <laughs> and um, what I really try to focus on here is, regardless of what asset class you choose, whether it's multifamily or single-family or storage facilities or you know what do they call those things? Mobile home lots or whatever. Um, you have to be good at finding deals. So I, I really f- stress on, on being acquisition experts. So now that you have so much experience in, in buying all those single families and now you, you're bought a lot and they're investing a lot in the multifamilies, how does the uh, finding of those deals differentiate? Uh, so the single family stuff, you know, a lot of it was just um, relationships with other investors, uh, tax sales, stuff like that. 
the multifamily, it's, there's a lot, you really have to develop strong broker relationships because it's difficult, I think, to find them on your own. Now we're toying with some, some other marketing to try to get direct to sellers, but um, most of the multifamily sellers are much more sophisticated. So you can't do the like traditional, like direct mail wholesaling route. Um, Mm -hmm. It can be done, but I think it's more difficult. You have to have a much cleaner pitch than what you have to do on those. Um, So it is a little trickier. And of course, um, you know, when you build a broker relationship, that's all about credibility. They got to believe that you're going to close the deal because especially in this market um, with multifamilies, if the deal makes sense, someone's going to buy it and the broker knows that. So once they have it, they're kind of in the driver's seat. So you really got to build good relationships. Perfect. All right. So I couldn't agree with you more Uh, to this day. uh, Most of our deals will come from our relationships and, uh, Thank God we were nice to people on our way up so that they're still nice to us today. Um, but g- give me an idea of what that looks like because a lot of people will come on and say, hey, you just got to network. You got to build relationships. Um, starting from scratch, if there was someone that you wanted to get to know, a high-powered broker that was a, a good flow of those types of deals, how would you approach that? What would be the way that you'd make friends and to get in their good graces? Yeah, so I'd probably do it a little bit differently now than we did when we first started. When we first started, we just were like going on like LoopNet and like, you know, looking for brokers that had things that made sense to us and then reaching out to them directly and saying, hey, we're interested in buying this. In fact, first we were trying to, um, one of my partners is a a broker up in Michigan and we were trying to, uh, you know, split commissions with them. And one of the things we learned very quickly in multifamily at least is the brokers don't need to split with you. So they're, they're not going to, they don't have to, so they don't. So, you know, that's the first thing is, you know, find brokers and and understand how to talk to them uh, and then convince them that, you know, what you're going to do. We had one broker that said to us, I don't want to talk to you because you're not ready to buy. Maybe they were right. Maybe they weren't right. I don't, I don't know. But once we started buying, it did become a lot easier to get brokers to take your call. Right. So uh, it's sort of a catch 22. You just kind of have to do it and you have to have a clean pitch. So when you get a broker on the phone, you don't want to say, Hey, I'm thinking about getting into multifamily someday. Maybe you have to say, look, I'm looking for, um, you know, 10 to 20 units, multifamilies with individual entrances. And, you know, I don't want flat roofs cause it's Michigan. Uh, and I prefer brick and I want it to be like a 1970s or newer build, you know, whatever your criteria is, mm-hmm. you have to be very precise about what you want and what market you're buying in. And, um, and then for us, we focus on just a couple of um, markets in north of Detroit, Metro Detroit area, but like a specific area there. Um, and then we found the brokers that were doing transactions in those areas and told them that's what we wanted to buy. Um, and then when they brought us stuff, we responded quickly, right? So if they brought us something and didn't meet our criteria, we said, no, you know, here's why we don't like this deal. And, you know, we didn't have to, they didn't have to reach back out and see if we were still thinking about it or whatever, right? They knew right away if we were interested or not. Um, and then you just got to close the deals that you tell them they're going to close, right? Um, obviously sometimes, uh, you're going to discover things in due diligence or whatever that doesn't, uh, make, it makes it so it doesn't make sense. And if that's the case, then you just have to be forthcoming about that and tell them, Hey, this is just, you know, I can't do it under these terms. Um, but you just got to make sure that that's, you have a legitimate reason why you're reevaluating it. Mm-hmm. Got it. All right. So knowing how to talk to them, demonstrate you're, you're serious by knowing exactly what you're looking for. I think that's really key. I was a a real estate agent for four years before I became an investor. And every time I held an open house, someone would walk in. Yeah, I'm an investor and I'm just looking for something to make sense. You got anything? (laughs) It's like, (laughs) right. 
I was like, get the hell out of here, damn it. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're all looking for that, right? Something that yeah. makes sense. And I, I'm guilty of saying that sometimes a broker will say to me, well, what are you looking for? And I'll say, I don't know, something that makes money, you know, like <laughs> cash flow. <laughs> I mean, for us, that's really what it's about. Like, oh, I actually don't care if it's a multifamily, single family, whatever. I'm more of a cash flow investor. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to support my lifestyle uh, and have a safety margin so that if, you know, rents decline or I have vacancy, then I'm still going to be fine. That, that's been my goal from the beginning. So, Perfect. And then uh, once you get a broker that actually starts responding to you and sending you opportunities, you want to respond quickly with the details as to why or why not it doesn't work for them, right? That's right. Why it doesn't work for you. Got it. And then uh, when you do decide on one, you got to follow through. You got to close the deal, right? Yeah. It's kind of just referring back to the whole everyone's favorite radio station. What's in it for me? And if you understand brokers and, and agents, they want commissions. They want big commissions and they want them often and they want them easily. Yeah. The easy part I think is the most important part of that actually. Yeah, is it? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, they want to know that, that you're not going to be a pain in their rear end the whole time that you're uh, um, dealing with you. And then the other thing is I think you really need to uh, recognize that sometimes you can find the best broker and you can say to them, look, uh, I want you to represent me and uh, you know, you get whatever you got from a seller, but I'm going to give you, you know, two points on, on top of that. Um, and almost, almost bribe them to bring it to you first. Mm, um, you know, I don't know if, I don't know how many people do that, but sometimes I'm, I'm just not afraid to pay more commissions. If the deal makes sense, whatever I, if I have to pay 9%, 10%, it, it really doesn't matter if it makes sense to me after everything. Yeah. This, this is one of some of the things that we were talking about. I think when we met just, uh, you know, I don't really care how much someone else puts in their pocket as long as I get what I'm supposed to get. Yeah. Well, I mean, we look at deals sometimes and every once in a while I hear somebody say, oh, that guy who just bought that for a million dollars a year ago, why should you pay him two million? Because it's worth two and a half. That's why I should pay him two. Like if he'll sell it to me for two, I'm right. happy, right? I don't care what he got it for. Good for him. Right, right. Yeah, people get stopped by, well, I'm not going to give him two more points. He's already getting three points from the seller and blah, 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 blah. And so, yeah. Hey, do you want the deal or not? You know, it's just a concept of supply and demand. And if it's, if that uh, isn't in your favor, then you got to play the game, right? That's right. Perfect. All right. So speaking of points and costs and, and work, you know, once you've acquired the property, uh, are you doing your own property management or have you hired that out? Well, so uh, on the apartments, um, most of them are with my partner in Michigan and he has a property management company. So he's actually doing it through his property management company and we're paying him um, the same fees that he gets for other management projects that he gets. Um, The stuff that I have down in Chattanooga, I do a sort of hybrid self-manage. There was a, uh, when I bought it, the, uh, because I just have 12 units of, of multifamily down here when I bought it, there was a, a guy who was managing it for the previous owner. And I, it was right before the holidays a couple of years ago. It was like this mm-hmm. time. And I just said, you know, Oh, we'll just let you run it for the rest of the year and let's see what happens. Cause I didn't really want to deal with it. And, you know, he took direction really well. And so I just kept him on. Um, and he's mm-hmm. still there now and he's, uh, he does some maintenance and he does some management, but you know, it's, it's really, I mean, it's a sort of a combination of like a half manager almost. Right. Right. That's yeah, so the thing about real estate. There's just, so many variables at play and so many different ways you can go and so many exceptions to the rules. And then there are the hard and fast rules and the rules of thumb. And it's just like, do what yeah. works. It, right? You just got to do what makes sense to you. I yeah. mean, at the end of the day, uh, you know, I, I have some duplexes in Chattanooga that I manage myself. 
I like managing them um, mm -hmm. because they're easy and I don't have to pay someone to do it and it's just not that much work. So I don't mind doing it. I mean, that's the flexibility you have when you're full time in real estate is that you don't have to, you know, worry so much about it. And then actually the guy who runs the 12 unit, um, if I'm going to be out of town, I just text my couple of tenants and say, hey, if you have any issues, call him. And you know, then I don't worry about him. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's just kind of nice. So like I said, he kind of does what I need him to do. And it's worked well for both of us. So That's awesome. Yeah, dude, Jeff, this is why I had you on the show, bud. Because uh, it's been, what, three weeks, four weeks since we've seen each other and met. And uh, we're in a different environment. And there's no... Uh, outside influences <laughs> of the, uh, the alcoholic nature and you're still the same old cool guy and I really appreciate your graciousness and giving. What's the future for you in real estate? When do, you, do you have a stopping point or is this just going to go on forever? Well, you know, I actually planned on quitting two years ago and I got bored in about five days. Uh, so yeah. I was just going to, I thought I'd just go. Days, but I had yeah. the same experience, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was a little bit longer than five, but I went on a cruise and I came back from the cruise and I thought, you know, I should start buying apartments. That sounds fun. Um, and so that's what we did. And I don't really have a plan to quit because I like the growth thing. I'm doing some other stuff that keeps keeps me away from um, real estate. Uh, you know, I'm, I've been working on, you know, some personal branding stuff. And I also have a real estate show. I think I told you about that before. Yeah. It's um, a YouTube show, right? Yeah, YouTube only. Yeah, we uh, we get drunk and talk about real estate, so it's a lot of fun. It's the old-fashioned real estate show. Old-fashioned, um, like yeah, the drink. Old, yeah, like the drink. It's named after the drink. So what we do is we drink an old-fashioned while we're talking about real estate. And it's myself and my partner, um, Brian Leverage. That's his actual name, by the way. <laughs> he had to be a real estate investor. Yeah, that's right. He didn't have a choice, so... Um, but he's uh, he's another transplant to Chattanooga. He, he started out um, investing in Southern California and quickly decided the numbers were better here. And mm -hmm. so he's been here almost as long as I have. And we've built a pretty good relationship. And then we've bought some buildings together. We even bought a um, strip mall and an office building together recently. So that's kind of a new thing for us too. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, super. If someone wanted to get in touch with you, uh, the best way for them to do that would that be to reach out through the YouTube channel or is there another way? Yeah, I mean, oldfashionedrealestate.com is probably the easiest way, right? And, is it um, old or O-L? Old, O-L-D. Yeah, O-L-D. So, yep, and then fashion, D-E-D, so like fashion. that, and then real estate, yeah. Got it. Um, so just like the drink, actually, um, that's the easiest way to get a hold of me. But I also have my personal website. It's jeffreyholst.com. So if you're um, putting my name in the show notes or something, then they'll be able to figure that one out too. It's, it's not like I'm hiding. You can also just Google me or find me on Facebook. You know, when we met, I realized we were already Facebook friends and I never even met you before. So. I know. I've probably I got a like, lot of those. I don't know. Yeah, me too. I'm actually about out of Facebook friends though. You know, they have that limit on there. Yeah, so. I'm reaching the peak as well. But very good. Well, awesome, Jeffrey. It's been a pleasure. Let's stay in touch. Let's uh, check back in and, uh, and see where we are. I don't know, maybe first quarter of the new year. Yeah, I'm up for it anytime. It's great talking to you, Matt. Likewise, Jeff. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Yo. Yeah, yeah, we got the cash flow. Huh. Yeah, yeah, we got the cash flow. Yeah, yeah, we got the cash flow. You didn't know, homeboy, we got the cash flow.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.